Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today, our guest is Don Schilling, who's the chairman of General Equipment and Supplies in Fargo, North Dakota. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's spring up there, I think. Yes, uh, I have a backyard full of uh, 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 blossoming trees, and they're at their peak right now. And by next week, all those blossoms will fall off. Enjoy it. I remember those days. It's fantastic, isn't it? The spring when the flowers and the trees and everything get going. Yep, that's right. John, over the years, you've been particularly passionate about and involved in associations and foundations with employee development and training. I'd, I'd like to, if I could, get a little bit of background as to why that got your attention so heavily so early in your career, because you're rather an outlier on that. Not a lot of chairmen or presidents or owners of dealerships get that involved. How did that start? Well, I think you really have to go back to how I started my career uh, in the industry, which uh, uh, I started in the service department, uh, working part-time in service while I finished college. And it just kind of got in my blood so that by the time that I moved on from after graduation from college and into sales and management, I still had that a seed in me that said, you know, there's a lot that goes on in the shop and this is where we need to, to kind of pay attention and, and uh, help our customers and, and actually drill into some customer loyalty because of the fact that you have a service department that can take care of the needs of the customer and understand that. And so as I continue to work my way up through a management chain and ownership at General Equipment, uh, to me, it became one of the elements that was missing. Uh, how do we get a technician? Uh, how do we attract them? How do we keep them? And uh, so I, I actually got an invite from the uh, uh, technical college to be on their advisory board in the must have been about early 90s sometime, 92, 93, something like that. And I said, yeah, I'd be more than happy to, to sit on the advisory board. And I went to the first meeting and I had this idea that, you know, I'm going to change the world. I got all these things that I, I want to get them to do that will help me. And it was kind of funny because I, I learned a lot during that first meeting and all the things that I threw out on the table and said, you know, we need to do this, that, or the other thing a little differently. By the time we had the, the next annual meeting, they had made those changes. And so it, it kind of was like, uh, okay, this is something I can work with. These guys are willing and able to learn and trying to understand what they can do to be better at what they do. And um, so it kind of worked. It went from there, kind of grew from there. And we eventually, we always had a relationship with that college. And eventually now we have a, a de- dedicated uh, Komatsu uh, technician program there that we started in uh, 2013. And right now we're graduating uh, eight, actually on Friday, we graduated eight uh, technicians 
that are going to come to work for us after they graduate. And we've graduated approximately eight technicians every year since uh, 2014. Fantastic. What? How many technicians have you got now? Uh, we have about, uh, I suppose, right around 100. So pretty, and we have, pretty yeah, close we have, the end of the year is going through that program. Yeah, what? It's what the funny thing about it is, is that we've we've also used the program as uh, uh, you might say to uh, grow our own. So we have the technician that goes through the program. He's the right guy to begin with because we've interviewed him. He's worked for us for in in the off uh, school times for two years by the time he graduates. And so the retention thing is is a really important element for us where the technician after he uh, graduates works for us works his way up the ladder uh, maybe to a lead man shop foreman that kind of thing uh, we continue to uh, promote from within and so that all the other guys can see that as well and they they realize that oh well, I started as a diesel technician, but now I'm a product support sales representative or whatever, because I always wanted to get into sales. So they've got that element kind of similar to what I had. They have that background in in the service department, but now they're doing something else within the within the company. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it really broadens the base, doesn't it? Yes. It, do you it, have anything like that for parts yet? Well, we're trying. What the parts program that used to be available at that technical college, which is North Dakota State College of Science, uh, was phased out a number of years ago, and uh, really the it was mostly a John Deere program. So it was mostly John Deere Ag uh, parts uh, people that were being trained there, which really doesn't matter. But it uh, the fact of the matter is they just they were doing like everybody else. They were finding them other places, you know, steal them from other dealers, whatever. So we started an apprenticeship, parts apprenticeship program. Oh, that's been roughly 2016, 17 when we started. And we haven't gotten too many guys through it yet. I have a full-time recruiter that recruits for uh, positions at the technical school. And she also kind of, um, recruits for the apprenticeship program, but hasn't. Um, it's it's kind of a different person. We haven't connected with uh, a pool of people yet. But I would like to do the same thing because what we've built into our apprenticeship program is there's quite a number of classes that they have to take that's connected to the college. Uh, the, some the introductions to diesel to electrical. Um, to powertrains and that kind of thing. They get a flavor for what a technician goes through. Uh, then they they learn things about uh, marketing and management on the on the soft side, and uh, and basically uh, and then work within the dealership um, fifteen hundred hours a year. Um, hands-on and they, they kind of whatever they're studying in their online classes or in their in their their classes they're they're learning that also when they're on the floor uh, working side by side with a mentor 
so I think if we can get enough people through that program, I think we can enjoy the same success that we're having with the diesel program uh, to be able to promote from within and find people that want to make a career of this. And um, I think that's kind of the important word is, is career uh, because the, the parts people that we've hired um we've tend to hire from a Napa store or something like that. They, they kind of have got a, a sense for what they want to do, but they want to do something more interesting rather than just pull fan belts off the wall and make sure they're the right size for the customer. So to some degree we have to reinvent our parts businesses because there's too much of it that really has become that, isn't it? A, an order processing factory and go picking parts out of the warehouse and that's the job. Yeah. It's a lot more than that, as you and I both know. Right. It does. And it's, and you know, for a lot of our guys, you know, they like the consistency of coming to work uh, regular hours. Uh, they work in an indoor environment for the most part. Occasionally they're outside with, with a forklift unloading a truck or something. Uh, they provided uniforms. And so that there's, there's things like that that are, better than if they were working construction or, you know, working in the field somewhere. Um, but they were the kind of typically the kind of person that didn't want to go to college, uh, couldn't find anything in the tech school that they wanted to be involved in. And so now the apprenticeship program kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's rather intriguing. The Dealer associations, whether it's construction equipment with the AED or Mahita with material handling or trailers or engines, whatever, they've long for a long time pushed training primarily at technicians and certified technical schools across the country and the, the world. Um, you and I both know Ed Gordon. We did a podcast with him about a month ago, and, and his... Um, He's got two themes, and I'd like you to see if you agree with them. One is that companies, when they hire people, think that's it. The employee comes with everything that is necessary, and they don't need to spend money on training. And the employee arrives at work, finishing school, whether it's high school, university, technical school, whatever, say, well, that's it. I don't need to learn anything more. Do you, do you think either of those statements are valid? Um. Well, I definitely believe that training has to be ongoing. There's no question about it. And even for our parts people, they are trained. Uh, there are some training available for them, whether it be factory training or in-house. Uh, every year, we try to do something to improve that. Um, but I, re I really think that um, when you take uh, somebody uh, that, Perhaps they, they graduated high school, didn't find what they wanted in a, in a tech school. They went to work for, uh, and and kind of worked their way up within a parts department. There's a lot of things that they need to learn. Um, basic marketing, basic uh, customer service skills, inventory control things, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so... Uh, it's a huge deal. And I guess that's why with our apprenticeship program, we're, we're trying to introduce them to some of those elements. Um, 
so that they grasp it and continue to learn it. Um, because where's my next inventory control manager going to come from? It would be nice, you know, before we'd probably go hire some guy out of, out of college that had some statistical background, but it really needs to be a guy that understands the industry and knows that, you know, when you're, when you're uh, replacing a cylinder and an engine, you're not replacing one. So you have to, have, you have to have a complete kit if you're going to do an overhaul, et cetera, et cetera. You, you need that uh, industry uh, knowledge in order to, and along with the training to grasp what's going on. How often done or have you instituted an annual performance review with people? Well, they've had, we've had our annual performance reviews actually they do we do it more than annually i think we do it actually do it every six months um and um that's probably been ongoing for boy 15 years i suppose or more okay Uh, we probably made an attempt at it before that didn't get weren't very good at it and had a lot of paperwork that didn't mean a lot but i think we've we've gotten a lot better with it and our uh, people that help um, are we usually use an HR person to assist the manager. The manager needs to be doing right. the performance evaluation of the of the, his direct report. Yeah, the interesting thing to me with performance reviews, I worked in dealerships for about 13, 14 years, and not once did I have one. And every year I asked for one. And the response I always got was, well, did you get more money? And yeah, okay. Well, that's your performance review. And that's not anywhere near what a performance review is it. No. What what I'd like to do in those is engage the employee and, and get them interested in things that would help them get better at whatever it is that they do or whatever their interests are. And unless we have that dialogue, the day-to-day work just gets in the way. Yeah. Unless it's formalized, what would you like to do? What's the thing you have the most difficulty with? Have you thought of this? That yeah. kind of discussion. Our management's not trained to do that very well, are they? No. You know what? Uh, we have to know how to compliment people better. And we're, we always try to work at that. Uh, but we also need to ask the question and then listen, you know, what is it that you, what is it that you would like to learn? Where would you like to be in the next three years? Yep. Uh, what's, what's missing? from your resume that you'd like to see improvement on. Um, and, you know, you have a handful of people that will just kind of shrug their shoulders and not answer that question very well. But w- you can really tell when you've got an employee that's engaged and he's going to tell you right out where he'd like to be, what he'd like to do, um, where he thinks he needs training, what he's interested in. Um, we also instituted a thing a number of years ago where we provided training for things that were non-job related. Right. So if you wanted to take a photography class or something like that, yeah, we'd pay the tuition, let you take uh, the class, whether it be online or or uh, uh, night school or whatever, uh, so that you can learn something else that interests you. Yeah. So, and I think that's important. Yeah, there was a, about 20 years ago, there was uh, 
business in South America that worked five years and they would give you a year off full pay as long as you were learning something. And it didn't have to be related to the job, just broadening your mind and, and becoming. With the change in the world today, the change in the equipment we've got, if we're not constantly learning, we're dead. It's yeah. nuts. One of the other things that Gordon talks to is that the workforce is split into three pieces. One third that are kind of, let me call them the, the good people, the chargers, ambitious uh, people. Another third that kind of, don't, don't confuse me, this is a job, I just come here to get paid. And then the third in the middle that don't know which way to go. You, you mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> classify people. I know that's a very crude way of looking at it, but do you, do, you, do you think it falls into those kind of categories? You know, I unfortunately, it probably it, it does to a certain degree. And I think we're always kind of watching for that within our organization uh, because we don't want uh, somebody that's, uh, that's brain dead. Yeah. Um, and... Um, so I think our managers uh, um, use that evaluation um, tool to find out what this person is really like and what he'd like to learn and, and what he's not learning and challenge him, uh, say, this is uh, by the time we do our next evaluation, you know, here's the next couple of things I like to see you do. And if they if they're not interested in doing that, uh, they're probably not going to have a very long tenure here. So yeah. that's, it, that's the answer, isn't it? Yeah, I think you know, in a in a our state is historically for the last you know 15, 20 years has been so low on unemployment rate, it's hard to get people. So once you get somebody, you know, I think the the theory is that well, we better hang on to them. But our our theory has been more that he that person could be dragging down other workers that work right alongside of him if they're not fully engaged. And so we want uh, the, uh, all the employees to be on this similar level with uh, customer engagement and, and doing their job performances the way that they need to do it. And if they don't want to stay, uh, then we're both better off yeah. um, by having to move on. So. Yeah. It's, it's really an interesting situation, the, the uh, brain-dead characterization or lack of interest or commitment, whatever it might be, is, is common with a lot of people. And, and management or the leadership, let me call it, needs to engage with those folks more. Because many times, I, you know, one of the things that we have in our management training is on basic management is... Everybody that starts their job, they're enthusiastic beginners. And we want them all to be self-reliant achievers. But depending on the leadership, you mentioned criticism or praise. Those are things you can learn. But, you know, we, we see mistakes all day long. We, we have to look to see good things. And depending on the leader, the employee either becomes careful or cautious because they get criticized for making mistakes or disillusioned because nobody pays any attention to them. So it, it, I'm, I'm not sure I want to be on the side of, of the employees saying, wait a second, leadership's got to engage better. Hiring's very difficult. Probationary periods are important. I don't think three months is anywhere long enough. Should be six at least. 
And we have to have the courage to say, you know, this isn't really a good fit for you. Especially in places where it's so hard to find people with low unemployment like you've got. The, the, the neighborhood, the community knows where people should want to work. And it's nice to be That's on right. that list, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, I think the like the local chamber of commerce they always list you know the the top hundred businesses that people want to work at here or whatever, and it's it's nice to be on the list. But I think it's it's also nice that people that and they understand as they read through something like that that, that they look at ABC company down the street and by golly they're doing exactly the same thing that that we're doing here. Uh, but we didn't get on the list for uh, whatever reason. And lots of times it's just nobody sent enough, you know, information in or whatever. But but the reality of it is is uh, is we want, um, I don't want to just say family, but it has to be somewhat kind of like family oriented. It has to, you have to enjoy coming to work. You have to be engaged in what you're doing. You want to learn while you're here. You want to be uh take empathy with people that have things going on in their life and try to help them. And, and, you know, that those are the kind of qualities that we continue to look for. And it kind of becomes reflective of how the customer senses it too, when our customer walks in the door and realizes that um, there's not a lot of um, bad feelings going on between people within the receptionist area or the back office or whatever. Uh, they want to. They don't want to deal with that. They want to know that uh, everybody's on the same team, kind of thing. And that the employee is not going to leave until the job's done. That they care enough to look after the customer. Right. It's hard to. It's hard to create that environment. And the bigger you get, the more difficult it becomes. That's correct. Yeah. It's. Um. At, I. I worked at Finning a hundred years ago, and we had fifty-three stores, had about fifteen hundred employees, and. Um, it's hard in those days we didn't have this high technology zoom or teams and other and the only way you got any influence is by face-to-face stuff well with 53 stores it's it's almost impossible to get everything done and you know and I, maybe in two stores it's too much too because you've got shallower leadership numbers too don't you yeah. It has to be part of the job that your 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 primary purpose is making sure that the employees have everything that they need to do their job. Everything is offered to them that they want to do in the form of development. And I'm here for you. And I think I think you've got that kind of, you know, I know the your general service manager and your general parts manager and, and your son and and the, the financial people and the IT people, they all seem to have the same approach to life, which is wonderful. You don't just wave a wand and create that. Well, uh, and I think it's it's the kind of thing that uh, the people kind of grow into. And so we have people that have been with us for a lot of years. And and then we have some that are here for a while and then they leave. And it's because they didn't quite, you know, they didn't quite buy into um, our, our, uh, our focus and our plans. Yeah. So. And that's fine. That's good too. You know, that, you know, we have to be able to, to address that and, and get the right people on the team. So 
one of my partners in, in the insight business was a man by the name of Malcolm Ferries, who was a graduate of Annapolis and Stanford with a master's and a rather remarkable man. But he taught leadership at university across the country. And he had three words he dealt with almost consistently. Understanding. Everybody has to understand what we're trying to do. Acceptance. Everybody has to accept that what we're trying to do is the right thing to do. And if that those two things are true, then everybody will be committed. But what Mac always used to say is, you got to have debate about acceptance. Not everybody's going to believe that what you're doing is the right thing to do. You got to give them a form. Let's talk about it. You might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Give the uh, you know, give the employees a chance to make that impact, like you did with the technical school. You know, it's be careful what you ask for. You might just get it, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the things that we've always tried to do is we've been involved uh, for a handful of years now with uh, with traction management uh, mm. f- system, and so we're doing. Uh, we can't because of 10 locations spread out through four states and two Canadian provinces, it's hard for us to, to do uh, quarterly meetings, but we do at least semi-annual meetings, face-to-face management team with each at each every branch and going through what our goals were, uh, what our successes were, what our failures were, uh, what we're going to work on and uh, what our focus focuses are for the next uh, three to six months. And, um, but besides just doing that, I mean, they need to do their, their small group meetings. They do those in about every other week, for sure, at least once a month. And so that they're bringing issues up the pipeline. um, So management becomes aware of, Oh, we have a broken, uh, tool in the back and we don't we're not getting it fixed and why are we not doing that so uh they have to know that their input matters so and it, it's i think that comes down in a lot of cases to trust yep. the employees have to trust the fact that the boss is not going to be critical of whatever the comment is that they make or the thought is that they have they're going to be respectful of it and that, in many cases, that challenges leadership. The traditional sense, I I know what to do. I, but you know, it's yeah. the characterization is moving from the steam engine to the electric engine. You know, we, we got it's it's very different leadership today. You know, my daughter's with us right now, and she's in her middle forties, and 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 we talk about societal change, and one of the things that we have fun debating is policing. In the 60s, if it feels good, do it, became the mantra. And you and I are close to that kind of era. Right. That really changed leadership. You can't dictate what you want the person to do. Get this done. I need it done by 5 o'clock or I need you to work tomorrow all day. Um, those those days are done. I I agree. But I still... What's funny is you still find people that have that same desire or drive to satisfy, do a, a job satisfactorily and and know that they're uh, helping out the company and the customer uh, in many cases um, and feel good after they do that. And those are the kind of individuals that you really want. 
and you want to attract them and you want to keep them. Exactly. Everybody, you know, again, some beliefs that I have, everybody wants to do a good job. Nobody comes to work rubbing their hands in glee, say, I'm going to really screw up today. Everybody can do more than what they think they can. And that's the magic. And everybody's fundamentally lazy. If they can take a shortcut, they will. And that's not all bad. That means I'm looking for the best way to do things at times. But we got to give them that environment. And if they don't fit the, the cultural aspects that you're explaining relative to employee development and learning, if somebody doesn't fit in, they stick out like a store spot. Yeah, it's obvious to them and to their teammates that it's it, this isn't working. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We had a program, and I'd like to have a, a an idea of where you think on this. At, at, at the two cat dealers I worked at, we had a management development program where we would hire people between their junior and senior years, either in engineering or commerce or um, business, CPAs or MBAs, and we'd bring them in for four months. And typically, whoever was the youngest member in management was their mentor and met with them regularly. And we ran them through six to eight different assignments so that they touched on six to eight different supervisors. And if they made it through all of that, at the end of the term, the people that touched those employees would sit down and say, okay, fine, and offer them a job when they graduated. And at Finning, we had 12 to 18 people every year doing that. We had that many stores, so we needed that, that kind of volume. But they'd been doing, by the time I got there, they'd been doing it 10 or 15 years, and every single branch manager had come into the company that way. And once they got into the company, then it was a 15 to 18-month training program across all of the departments before you were assigned. So you were overhead, essentially, for a full year. And that investment in people, they're now something in the order of $10 billion a year. Yeah, it, it it works. It's not six month programs. It's six year programs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no short term fixes when it comes to, you know, you, you it's hard to go out and hire uh, positions. It's for us, it's easier to promote from within. No question. Positions because we're, we know the person already. We know what their strengths are. And sometimes you you remold that position that's open to better fit that person and, and move some of the responsibilities elsewhere um, to balance it out. Um, uh, and I think that's the advantage you have versus reading a resume and doing a, a two or three interviews with somebody, hiring them, and then find out uh, you didn't get exactly what you thought you got. So I think hiring is one of the most difficult tasks that we have. You know, anybody can fool anybody else in an interview. It's, it's quite easy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I say this on the other side, and I don't mean it as a callous, cold person, but firing's easy. I've never fired anybody. They've always fired themselves. Hiring is really difficult. In- yeah. Well, when, when we uh, recruit the technician or the young person to be a technician through the, through the Komatsu program, uh, uh, you know, the, there's time spent with them as they're finishing high school and as they've come to visit and got to know us. And our recruiter then spends 
time with them uh, during the next two years and gets to know them pretty well. Uh, does lots of Facebook pace, uh, postings and things like that with the parents and is always the feeder of information back to the parent of how how their their child is doing um, or their young adult is doing as they go through our program. And uh, by the time they graduate, not only do they know us really well, we know them really well, but it, it, they've, they've really picked up on the fact that how meaningful that is. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and now their parents are proud of the fact that they're working for us, and so I'm sure what goes around at the Thanksgiving table later is if the if that student was making any issue about well I think maybe I'm going to look elsewhere for work, I think we're going to have the parents on our side, you know, yeah. that's going to nope. say nope. why and what are you doing, yeah. you know, so. What's going on? (laughs) No question about that. One of the things that we we do on the consulting side and the training side is ask the people, what do you do? And I know what they do. I've got the people that are in the classroom or that I'm working with at the dealership. I know what they do. What do you do? Tell me what you do. And most people are okay with that. They can tell me. It starts getting a little bit iffy when I say, well, how do you do that? And now they got to get a little bit more serious about what it is they do because they're like I'm 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 getting I'm peeling the onion a little bit and then I stop them in their tracks and I say well, okay why do you do that and then they get stuck well I do it for money no no money is is not the reason you're working here why are you doing this and in our case and I think our industry and I think in your business particularly it because we like to help people. Mm-hmm. We're caring, empathetic people who like to help others. And that kind of, you know, in the old days, it used to be called a servant's heart. That's not really cool anymore, but that's that's really where we live, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Serving other it people. In all it aspects is. of life, in the family, in the workplace, in the church, and school, whatever. Yep. If you had a magic wand and could look back over your career in this industry, what would be the thing that you would want to have changed first from your perspective today? Well, um, I honestly feel that the the way our management system is working right now with traction uh, system, uh, if that had been available earlier, if I was wise enough to have found it earlier, I would have moved to that. I, I attempted it in a m- number of different ways to kind of communicate better to people, get them involved. They used to call it uh, uh, balance balance sheet, uh, uh, open balance sheet when you di- when you talk to your employees about how the company's doing. Um, you know, and we tried to implement it while we were doing the rest of all the other things that we were trying to put the fires we were trying to put out. So as a manager, I probably failed at that at the first couple of attempts, but getting the employee involved in what our company was doing and how it's doing and how it's succeeding and how they're a part of that success, um, I think is so critical to, to, to continue the, to the continuation of future success. 
I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And the thing that is remarkable to me, I've got a similar outlook, I guess, going backwards. I was not a very good employee because almost everything I did, I said, why do we do it this way? And, you know, and, and you know me well enough that that's kind of my, my persona. And, and I asked a man that I, I worked with in Montreal and then I had him come out and work with me in Edmonton. And then I had him come out and work with me in Denver. And, and we're sitting having a adult beverage at sunset in Denver. And my wife's there and, and Ray was his name, Ray Roberts. And he was from Rhodesia, well-educated in Britain. So he'd, he'd immigrated to Canada and then into the States. And I looked at him in the midst of the discussion. I said, hey, Ray, I wasn't that tough to work with, was I? And he almost spit up his drink that he was sipping on at the time with laughter. <laughs> and my <laughs> wife did the same kind of thing. One of the other things that we have to deal with is those I don't know how to characterize myself without being insulting to me, but those those guys that are the pain in the butt that are constantly, why are we doing this? Let's do it that way. I want to embrace those guys. I think you do too. Yeah. But you can't have very many of them. It'll kill you. <laughs> well, I always, always, I always was the one that I like to ask questions and I, and I, I always appreciated somebody that had questions. You know, it's more like when you're done and you say, does anybody have any questions? And it's all silent. I don't like that. I'd rather engage. They were engaged enough that they have a serious question. And then which spawns another question, which spawns another question. So, um, yeah, I we, we want everybody to be engaged and we want everybody to, you know, Use common sense. Yeah. Ask a question if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, dialogue, the old Greek word, means the flow of meaning. The discussion between two people is intended yeah. to be a, you know, a dialogue. It's open. Nobody owns all the good ideas on the on the planet. Any um, parting shots you'd like to give to the the people that are listening to us? Is to I, I really appreciate what you said relative to the management. It it. Um, you, you almost have to, and this is going to be hard, but you almost have to spend 50% of your time not doing your job because your job is doing the interface and communication with the employees, making sure they're happy and challenged and getting the support that they need. And then the other half is what you do. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. What what would you say to your son and the, the new management here is going to be the biggest challenge they face over the next 20, 30 years? Well, I think the... Uh... We're, we've come to a completely different part of the road here. We're a much different, bigger company than what we were when I started. And so the thing that was important uh, when I started was my my presence, you know, being being there and showing my work ethic. And people will follow that and, and engage in that. And in today, when you've got when we've got a number of branches, and like we talked earlier, doing team meetings and stuff like that, it's hard. I mean, now you could sit be sitting in your living room doing a meeting. Does what are the what do the people think about that? And how are you showing your work ethic and and engaging them to have that same 
focus and work ethic. And so I think the advice I'd give uh, my young management team now is, is how do you do that? How do you engage? You need to engage with all of your direct reports and let them know just how hard you're working and how focused you are and how much you're, you're available for them to listen if they have an issue. So, and an, or an idea. So. Yeah, I appreciate that, Don. Thank you so much for the time. I think this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people. Perhaps in, in a three to six month period, we can pick up another subject and have some more of this. I was going to say, if I had a martini before we had that, we could I could open up and we can do a lot longer. Uh, uh, well, we'll do that discussion. for the next one. We'll have you know <laughs> what Seinfeld's got his his, yeah. his his chats in the car. You know, two comedians <laughs> talking over coffee or something. We'll do it over. I'm, I'm with you. We'll do it over a martini. Thank you so much, Don. And, uh, You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I, I appreciate the time that you're all spending with us. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, Don. Very good. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.